if you can burn away all the pain, should you take that path? Welcome, my Mere Mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information within to extract some themes you might not have realized and to also commit some arson, perhaps. Indeed, we do have The Temple of the Golden Pavilion by Yukio Mishima. So this book was published in 1956, and it's about 250 pages in length. I'd say it took me about five to six hours of reading to get through. It is a fictionalized account of some real-world events uh, concerning a temple in Kyoto set in the 1940s period. So we follow this young man called uh, Mizuguchi, who is a young acolyte of the temple. He is uh, underneath the, the superior, the priest there of this Zen temple, and he becomes enamored with this temple and then also somewhat disillusioned with it. And uh, he gets into his mind like, oh, I'm going to basically burn this thing down to the ground. So we watch his kind of growing frustration as he goes through his kind of childhood, some experiences with his mother and father, which are very off-putting of with other people. And we can just see he's just a young, troubled man and his, uh, his experiences with sex, with prostitutes, his going to university, his meeting some other troubled boys who are in similar positions, but with variations of themes and there is a rather climactic end, which I won't end uh, and spoil for you right now, but there is uh, a lot of uh, fireworks and things that go on. A lot of the book is obsessed with his beauty as well. He is really enamored with this temple. It is this kind of golden shining beacon, and it becomes something much more than just the place that he worships at and whatnot. It takes this almost mythological turning and, and feat in his mind. So we do see a lot of the inner workings and a lot of it is told kind of from his perspective. And so we really delve into his mind, see what he's thinking and what he's feeling and uh, why he acts the way that he does. So onto the author, uh, this is a classic Yuko Mishabua book. It's uh, obsessed with beauty. There's kind of this tormented violence uh, underlying uh, the surface. There is things to do with sex in there. Absolutely classic. So we've covered a couple of books on this channel before, these being The Sound of Waves, which I quite enjoyed, and also The Sailor Who Fell From Grace with the Sea. So very, very classic. Onto this book in particular, it really is a focus of a real event. So this actually did happen into uh, a temple in Kyoto named uh, the, oh, I've not written down the name, but I did write the name of the guy who it was based on. It was Hayashi Yoken. And so this was in the 1950, and yes, spoiler alert, basically this guy burnt down the the temple, uh, which was a very, very old temple dating from back from 1397, perhaps even before that. And he had schizophrenia, and it's kind of loosely based on that. Obviously, this was a bit before Yukio Mishima's time, so he never actually met the, the guy. The guy died uh, sh- several years after burning down the temple as well, so... Uh, it's a it's kind of real world events, but the the book itself I think is is rather standalone in its uh, coverage of different themes which wouldn't have occurred in the actual real life. So let's jump on to the first theme, and this is torment, physical or mental suffering. So we see this a lot, and there's kind of three main characters I would say in the book. There is uh, Mizuguchi and his two friends Tsurukawa and Kashiwagi, and Look, 80% of the book is based on um, Mizoguchi and and his own personal thoughts and feelings, but I think it is really demonstrative to actually look at these two other characters. 
and they all have their own problems, their own torments, I guess. So they're all deeply unhappy. Uh, Kashiwagi is much more cynical, Tsurukawa. We don't actually see his pain and suffering until kind of the end when we uh, read some letters who he has, he has sent to Kashiwagi. And then there is uh, Mizuguchi, who is obviously very, very depressed. <clears throat> Kashiwagi has club feet, so we, we really see the, the physical suffering with him. He actually can't walk around and it does require a lot of effort and you know he's, he's physically disabled. But uh, Tsurukawa, his was kind of this underlying depression that never really showed up and, and it kind of shows up differently for all of them. So with uh, Tsurukawa, he had this bubbly personality. You had no idea that he had this underlying torment going on. With uh, Kashiwagi, it was more this silent aloofness. He was always kind of just on the outside of the crowd. He was very cynical. Um, he wouldn't get too involved in things emotionally, I would say. He would he would kind of have this distance about him. Uh, and then with Mizoguchi, man, we see his pettiness from almost the, the get-go of the book when he's uh, scratching the scabbard of a, of a sword of a young man who comes in and is proud of his sword, of his uh, just general like uh, stomping on the belly of a, of a prostitute and causing an abortion with her. And he kind of takes this weird pleasure in it, uh, this kind of cynical uh, nature we also see arising in him. And he is just obsessed with beauty and, and this mental magnification. So jumping onto page 147 here, we see in this area where he is um, he's kind of just learned how to play music basically. And even though this is giving him joy, it's it's not really taking him away from his suffering. So Whenever I finished playing my flute, I used to wonder, why does the Golden Temple disregard this action of mine? Why does it not blame me or interfere with me when I embody myself like this into music? Never once has the temple disregarded me when I've tried to embody myself in the happiness and pleasures of life. On every such occasion, it has been the fashion of the temple to block my effort instantly and to force me to return to myself. Why will the Golden Temple only permit intoxication and oblivion in the case of music? And then he continues on. At these thoughts, the charm of the music would fade, owing to the mere fact that the Golden Temple allowed me this particular pleasure. For inasmuch as the temple gave me its tacit approval, music, however closely it might resemble life, became an imaginary and spurious form of life. And much as I might try to embody myself within it, that embodiment could itself could only be something temporary. So we do see he gets this pleasure, he finds he's getting good at it, and yet... It's almost like this beauty aspect, this thing that he's really focused upon turns itself in and he just can't escape it. There's mental magnification. So he, he finds some pleasure in music, there's no doubt. But it is because he is finding pleasure in this thing that it becomes soured, it becomes tainted because he can't get it in the thing that he really wants. And I would argue that the thing that he really wants is, is kind of sex and a connection with women. We see right at the start of the book, he approaches this girl and he kind of freezes up and he's got this stuttering, which he somewhat uses to blame for his inability to connect with other people. But it's not really the end case. That is, it's it's kind of, an, kind of an excuse that he uses. And it's actually because his personality is in a much more deeper rooted level of, of pain and he has opportunities, sure enough, plenty of times with 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 that girl, with 
another girl who's kind of like a friend of, of Kashiwagi and they go out on a date. He stuffs it up with this other lady who uh, he has this kind of minor connection with when he saw her giving a cup of breast milk to her lover who uh, eventually dies. He has a connection with her. Like he has multiple, multiple connections with women. And it's not the stuff stuttering that screws him up. It's this kind of the golden temple will appear on the woman's breast as they're, they're kind of revealing themselves to him. And he kind of freezes and doesn't know what to do. And then eventually the girls are like, oh, okay, like this guy's weird, um, kind of cover up and, and shoo him away sort of deal. So we do see this torment with all of them in it. It comes out differently, but I think all of them are, are somewhat magnified by their own um well maybe not all of them definitely with mizoguchi he's the one where we see he just can't escape this mental suffering that he is putting himself in which gets us onto our second theme respite how to relieve the suffering so what are the actions what do these characters all do to somewhat mitigate these circumstances they're in they're in what you would call probably intolerable suffering each of them seems to be in a, a state or a way where they can't continue living like they are that that it's just too much so i guess the first step is is to actually continue to live and this is where Tsurukawa actually fails because he has this tra- tragic accident but it's not until later where it's revealed oh he was actually deeply deeply unhappy and tormented and it's somewhat the the saddest but almost the noblest of the the ways that they the three mitigate their suffering because his doesn't involve pain on other people. I don't know. Actually, now that I think about it, you know, obviously it would have caused pain to all the people who are now deprived of his presence, of his love, of 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 him, and it kind of feels like an abandonment. So maybe even in not um, in this case, I'm going to jump onto page 116 where uh, we see how I suppose Mizoguchi decides to live. And he is convinced of this by by Kashiwagi. <clears throat> and so then he goes, uh, uh, as I have already mentioned many times, I appreciate the fact that Kashiwagi, whether out of kindness or out of malice, has had urged me on toward life. I had already long since recognized that I, who in my middle school days had deliberately scratched the scabbard of my schoolmate's sword, was not qualified to enter life through its bright surface. It was Kashiwagi who had first taught me the dark byway along which I could reach life from the back. At first sight, this appeared to be a method that could only lead to destruction, yet it was replete with unexpected stratagems. It transformed baseness into courage. It could even be called a sword of alchemy that restored what is known as immorality to its original state of pure energy. And this indeed was life of a kind. It was a life that advanced, that captured, that changed, that could be lost. It would hardly be called typical life, yet it was endowed with all the functions of life. Assuming that in some invisible place we are confronted with the premise that every form of life is meaningless, then this life that Kashiwagi had shown me must increasingly assume a value equivalent to the more commonplace types of life. So he definitely does identify as being on the outside. I was also debating with these themes, should I call it persecution? Because he does have this aspect of the world is against him, the golden temple is against him, every step that he tries to take he is confronted with his difference and people, uh, I wouldn't even say hating or disliking him, but just that he is different. Um, this is really apparent with his stuttering, which is so bad that he can barely ever start words. 
And yet it is sometimes he can get that first sentence out and then he can say what he wants. And so it's just this initial period. But we definitely do see, okay, he feels he's different, yet he's somewhat been convinced to to keep going with life and not end it arbitrarily. And yet to do this, he'll have to take this different path, a darker path perhaps that is maybe more repugnant that people won't be able to identify with, but because he is so unique, much like Kashiwagi, this is how he's going to go about it. Now we come on to the other stratagem that Kashiwagi takes in particular, which is knowledge. And he has these real deep convictions that it, it can be kind of used as a weapon. So if I had to describe him, he was somewhat nihilistic, but it was mixed with an acceptance that life is meaningless as well. So he would say life is meaningless accept it and then use knowledge to get what he wants. And so we see what he wants is, uh, you know, like women to appreciate him for it despite his clubbed feet. And so he will use this mixture of uh, gaining their sympathy and pity, uh, abusing them for their lack of sympathy and pity, uh, you know, and by this he would kind of fall over in the street in front of him. Then he would get them to, go and get some ointments to help him with his feet, to take him in. And then eventually he takes this weird perversion of suffering and torturing them to kind of uh, praise his his deformity, to lavish, you know, kiss his feet, to put ointments on them, to rub him down and things like this. And so he takes this weird pleasure in in knowledge and knowledge is what he kind of continually comes up with as this weapon and, I believe in this case, it's kind of the knowledge of how to get them to do this, how to use his own um, misformity as a as a weapon to gain their sympathy, to get what he wants from life. Uh, when he is, uh, for example, he's he he basically just uses whatever tactics he wants. He will kind of blackmail his own friend Mizoguchi, who owes him some money. He's fine with blackmailing his superior and making this look embarrassing and what uh, and and whatnot. He basically is nihilistic, but but also with a desire to continue life. And it's kind of this weird torture where he's in pain. He, he's, he's deeply disturbed as well, but he, he kind of gets some pleasure out of life by extracting it from whatever means that he wants. And these means are usually rather underhanded and, and negative. So that's another kind of approach that he takes to alleviate his suffering, to find some respite. And then the final one, Mizuguchi, his is action. Got to get stuff done. And so for him, he comes to this conclusion about two-thirds of the way through the book where he must destroy the golden temple. This beauty, this thing is stopping him from getting what he wants in life, which is uh, the companionship of a woman or at the very least some sort of connection with them. That that seems to be his main, main problem. And with this, it's kind of this pleasure and pain. You know, he loves the temple, but it's, it's harming him at the same time. And uh, to spoil the ending, he basically burns down the temple as the very last scene of the book and is kind of, um, denied this perfect death because he can't enter into the top, the most beautiful room of the temple and, and kind of burn with the temple, runs outside and he's going to commit suicide and then he he kind of like backs off at the last minute. And, you know, I, I suppose the, the question with all of these is, is did this work? 
has any of these things actually helped out any of these characters? And you kind of, kind of, yes, I don't know. All of them, I, th I think, found a respite in, in one way or another. Um, all of them found this respite, unfortunately, through harming of other people, whether it be through the suicide and the grief that comes from that of, of people not knowing or in this case of the suicide, which is then transformed into an accident to save face and then revealed to be a suicide. There is the, you know, basically psychologically torturing these girls into submission and and gaining some sort of pleasure from that. And then there is the you know, straight up destruction of beauty, of wanting to harm other people's perception of beauty as well. We see it, there's a lot of kind of complex things going on here because Mizuguchi has this relationship with the superior as well who, uh, you know, he's kind of thinking, trying to interpret what the superior is thinking. There's this back and forth that's going on all the time. It's very, uh, there's a lot going on in this book. So uh, would they, I, I, I think they did find some respite. Whether this, you could say, uh, was an objectively good thing Probably not because they seem to harm a lot of other people in finding their own respite from suffering. But I think you can kind of identify with them in the sense that their their situation was intolerable. So how were they? They were they were going to have to do something no matter what. Uh, does that excuse their actions? Not particularly, but I think they're understandable at the same time. So let's jump into my own observations and takeaways. One of the things that this book really captures, I think, is that that edge point of of certain cases. And in this case, I think it's the mentality of kind of suicide. We see this right towards the end when he's set up, uh, Mizuguchi has set everything up. He's put the hay bales into the temple. He's brought all the flammable materials. He's thrown away his last possessions into the river or and stored all the others in the temple to burn with it. And he's kind of, you know, turning back, looking at the temple, looking at the beauty. And for those of you, you'll, you'll see on your screen now, the, this temple was indeed a, a really, really beautiful um, place and it was kind of reconstructed afterwards. But we see this stepping back from the edge where he's like, oh, I've done it. I've, you know, I've reached the point. I've proved to myself through my action that I am going to do it. Do I even need to take this last step? And we see this wavering back and forth where he, we see him drawing back from the edge and then he he kind of comes to this other... It's almost like the logical, rational part of the brain takes over at this last step where it's, oh, this is actually going to be have some serious consequences. Do I need to do this? Is this actually going to relieve my suffering and pain and whatnot? And he kind of comes to the logical conclusion that no, it's not going to. And then he decides anyway in a kind of flipping of the brain into this emotional, non-thinking, critical thinking portion, fuck it, I'm going to burn it down. No, I've come too far. Now's the time to do it. Goes into the temple, lights the match and tries to die with it. So I think this this book does capture that really, really nicely and in a way which makes it understandable as to what people were perhaps feeling when they uh, go through these suicide attempts and you'd go, well, well, why did they stop at the last minute even after all this preparation? I think that's a, a good book. It's a good showcase of perhaps what is going through their minds when they do that. 
I'm going to jump onto page 209 because I think this shows another aspect of the book, which I, I find just really, really beautiful. And, you know, for a book obsessed with beauty, I think it does <laughs> capture quite a lot of it. So right at the top here. Finally, I became wary of thinking and I really was no longer sure whether I was intending to lose my virginity so that I could set fire to the golden temple or whether I was planning to burn the golden temple in, in order to lose my virginity. Then without rhyme or reason, the noble phrase, temple canon, the troubles that lie in store for the world, rose in my mind. And as I walked along, I kept on murmuring, temple canon, temple canon. So I think that there's just some really nice turns of phrase. I really enjoyed that. Losing my virginity to set fire to the golden temple or the vice versa of that. Uh, it's, it's really, I, I don't know, there's just all these nice phrases where that comes up. We see also where his inner turmoil is somewhat replicated with the the beauty surrounding of the, the golden temple, of the wind howling, of the trees bending, of the stillness of this beautiful Zen lake, you know, being being disturbed and ripples going across the lake, the golden foil of the temple, the architraves, the descriptions, all of it. I think it's, he's a great writer. There's no doubt he's a really, really great writer. And I think this shows in, in this type of book. The final thing is probably, man, overanalysis. I could have overanalyzed this book. If I really was going to look at it, I could just say, you know what? These were just three disturbed teenagers who didn't have access to SSRIs to stop their depression, who didn't have access to schizophrenia medication or lithium to, to stop their kind of bipolar and, and whatnot, and who uh, you know didn't have the medical interventions to, to help fix their club feet or to uh, you know have therapy and whatnot. Remember, this is in the 1940s, 1950s. There was a lot of kind of stiff upper lip after the World War II, you know, we'll rebuild and, and carry on this kind of stoicism type deal going on i think it could be easy to put an interpretation of this book and just be man this is just a look into the lives of of three three troubled young men and that's kind of all you need to do because we see with mizuguchi man he overanalyzes everything he is trying to figure out what everyone is thinking about him at this time why is the superior bowing and he's putting in all of this extra stuff and it could just be the superiors just bowing in his lost in meditation, but he puts in <laughs> three pages worth of analysis of why he's why he's actually in this kind of inner torment at the moment, why he goes sees to uh, goes and sees prostitutes, why he does this, why what he thinks of uh, Mizuguchi. <laughs> it's it's absurd how much thought he puts into it. So over analysis, I think is is probably another theme that you could really uh, take from this book. So let's jump onto the summary. It's a book you could analyze very thorough, thoroughly as well. I feel like I only briefly touched on the beauty aspect, on perhaps the the feeling in the air of the the kind of zen, the relationship between a master and a student of beauty with related to destruction because this was going on during the firebombing of, of kind of Tokyo or during World War II. And so there's this aspect of, creation and destruction mixed up with beauty there's a lot of things going on in this book so i think you could analyze it quite deeply it's a glimpse into the uh, mind i think of yukio mishra him, himself if you read about him he certainly was a troubled man and it but a brilliant one and a really really amazing writer and i think this reflects in his uh 
depiction of this young and troubled boy as well. The beauty aspect probably is slightly overdone for me. I think there was times when I was reading it and going, eh, okay, but I'm kind of losing interest now because it's, it's getting too deep into the beauty and whatnot. But the narrative, the internal thoughts, the conflicts that were going on, I felt was so identifiable. I really, I saw portions of myself in this character of Mizuguchi um, depressingly <laughs> enough as it is, but it was actually helpful for me because I think there was, uh, as I was reading this, I was going through some somewhat some inner turmoil at that moment. And I think a book like this is helpful because it shows you kind of what not to do. You don't want to overanalyze. You don't want to take drastic uh, steps. You don't want to get stuck into these negative thought patterns you actually are kind of like everyone else everyone else is dealing with the same thing so you don't need to feel this persecution that the world's against you and things like this and one of the things that unfortunately these current characters didn't have is some wisdom as you get older you can get better at using kind of some of the zen concepts that he should have been learning in 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 this temple and and realizing okay you know these things i can change these things i can't the kind of serendipity prayer of the serenity prayer of of being able to know the difference between the things that can't and can't be changed, and that is wisdom. So all in all, I think it's a really fantastic book, The Temple of the Golden Pavilion. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Really, really solid. I really uh, enjoyed reading this. And that is it for today, my memoirs. Thank you for joining me to the end of this audio. What are your thoughts on Yukio Mishima, on the Temple of the Golden Pavilion, on beauty, on arson? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is just by reaching out via any of the comments or the links that you can see down below. Uh, we try to get to every message and comment. So if you reach out via one of them, that would be perfect. And I, I love hearing your thoughts on these books and whatnot. And I would also just recommend checking out the Mere Models podcast. A lot of what I talk about in here, if you wanted to know what my inner turmoil has been over these past couple of months, go check out the Mere Models or for any of the episodes really over those couple of months and you'll start to get a feel for for what's going on in my life and also why I take these themes, why I read these books and and kind of how the books interpret and influence my my own life as well. So I really would just recommend checking out the Mere Mortals podcast. And with that, we'll leave it there for today. I do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Please don't commit any arson. Ciao for now. Kyron out. <laughs>